0: question is, are you ready? This is The Drive with Josh Graham. i walking here. On Sports Hub Triad.
1: After last night, I don't think it's premature to say that NC State is the favorite to win the College World Series. It's crazy. It'd be the school's first national title in any sport since 1983. Which feels fitting, because this team is giving me strong Jimmy V running around the floor looking for somebody to hug vibes. Much like State's journey to Albuquerque in 83, it doesn't really feel like Elliot Avent should be in this position right now. Not with this team. I know I sound like a broken record in saying this every time we talk about the Pac-9, but they started 1-8. They started the season 1-8. They lost 21-2 to the number one-ranked team in the country in Fayetteville in a Super Regional. Yet here they are, 2-0 and at the College World Series. They're in the semifinal. And how's this for a stat that favors them? In the last dozen College World Series, 20 of the 24 teams that started 2-0 end up in the Champions Series. And obviously most of the teams that start 2-0, are representative as the national champion as well. That's where NC State is. This group, it's a bunch of underdogs, and it feels like the TV broadcasts have no idea how to talk about this team. Remember how mad State fans were when they went up against Kevin Copps and he's pitching into the ninth inning And all the TV broadcast wants to do is focus on him. Here's this great prospect. He doesn't lose Arkansas. Overwhelming team. Great for the last 10 years. Oh, by the way, NC State wins the game. That's how it felt. The entire game was about this pitcher. The TV broadcast felt like it was telling a story about Arkansas winning this game. And then at the last second, it was a record scratch. And the pack was going to Omaha instead. That's how last night felt. Carl Ravitch, he does a great job at ESPN, big fan of Ravi. But the entire broadcast was about Jack Leiter going to be a top five pick, Vanderbilt, the defending national champions. Let's pan over one more time to the dad. My soon-to-be father-in-law sent me a text last night. Can they stop talking? Can they stop talk, talking about the pitcher's dad for once? Do they have to pan over to him every single pitch? Robert, after NC State hit the solo home run, one to nothing win for the pack, I wanted them to pan over to the dad that one time, and it was the only time they refused to do so. Scotty McCreary even tweeted out after the home run, now let's check in on his dad. It feels like the television crews, who are as good as you're going to find at ESPN, don't even know how to cover this NC State team because what they're doing is so uncommon. I think ESPN Stats and Info dug up a stat since they changed up the format in 1999. NC State is the only team to beat the defending champ and the tournament's overall number one seed in the same tournament. This is a magical run. State is toppling Giants, just like the 83 team did. In 83, State had to beat Ralph Sampson twice. In 21, it was Arkansas and Fayetteville. In 83, it was Hakeem and Clyde and Fijama Slama. In 21, it's Jack Leiter and the defending champion Vanderbo- Vanderbilt Commodores. 15 Ks for Leiter. And a loss. Cops and Leiter going into this season, or excuse me, going into the postseason, 22-3 and on the season, 0-2 against NC State. This is unbelievable. They're in the Final Four now. One win away from the championship series. They can do this. They're no longer the underdogs. So, Pac fans, how you feeling right now? the number. On Twitter, at WSJS Sports. I'm getting 1983 vibes from this Pac-9 baseball team. And it's a heck of a lot of fun to watch. The next time we'll see them is on Friday. They will face either Vanderbilt or Stanford again. Those teams doing battle in an elimination game tomorrow. In the NBA... Chris Paul remains out for Game 2 of the Western Conference Finals. Kawhi didn't make the trip to Phoenix, so it's going to be the same scenario we saw in Game 1 the other day. Prior to that game, the NBA Draft Lottery is going to be broadcast on ESPN at 8.30. And, Robert, I don't know how closely you follow the NBA Draft, but I'm not really convinced this year's class is all that much better than last year's. All we heard leading up to last year's draft, oh, it's not a great class at all. But then when we watched the players actually play, despite the fact they didn't have summer league and didn't have training camp and didn't really have a conventional G League season, LaMelo Ball was awesome. James Wiseman, when he played, looked very much the part. Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton. Some pretty good players came out of this draft. To me... It seems like there are three superior prospects at the top, just like last year. And those prospects are the familiar names Cade Cunningham, Oklahoma State, Jalen Suggs, Gonzaga, and Evan Mobley. It seems like Cade is the consensus number one pick. There's some discussion about who should go number two. I think it depends on the team. Mobley is by far the best center you'll see in this draft. Very versatile. There's a big drop-off between him and whoever you view to be the next best center, probably Isaiah Jackson from Kentucky. But Suggs, we saw what he did in the Final Four, hitting that half-court shot. He's got every different tool you need for regard to have in today's NBA. So after you get past those players, then you're looking at a really large group of I don't know. Jalen Johnson from Duke, Scotty Barnes from Florida State later in the first round, Dayron Sharp, Matthew Hurt, a, a whole bunch of I don't know. The Charlotte Hornets, they're sending Miles Bridges. Robert, this is such a strange TV show. Like, as a TV show concept, what are you getting here? Is it stranger than the draft itself where the NFL moves this thing around the NBA hasn't gotten here yet, but the NFL moves it around the city to city, and people, they in mass show up and watch the commissioner walk out and hand a jersey to somebody in a suit. Like, I know there's more to the draft than that. You and I both love the draft, but as a viewing spectacle, it is kind of a strange deal, isn't it? It's a strange event to watch in person. Like, if an alien dropped in or somebody from another country popped in and didn't know anything about football, that'd be a very strange thing to see, yes?
2: I I, I really don't know. Because, I mean, if you if an alien dropped in from a planet, anything that you're, oh, you're watching stuff on TV, any of it would be So weird.
1: maybe somebody from another country. Like somebody that doesn't follow American football. Hold one second. All these people are crowding the streets of Nashville to watch players get drafted and then the commissioner to hold up a jersey in front of them? Is that what we're doing here?
2: I, I don't know. I don't find it weird because there is anticipation. There is like expectations. So those can either rise or fall depending on how the show goes. Yeah. I don't think I'm it's asking, that weird. I'm
1: asking the wrong person. I know how much you love the draft. But um, when it comes to the lottery itself, though, you got all these representatives. This doesn't seem like an efficient way to do this at all. Having Ben Wallace come out and sit in the chair. And hopefully the lottery balls bounce a certain way. They're not even doing anything. They are actually just sitting there waiting for the lottery balls to, to percolate in a certain way. And then they get uh, the results. We don't even see the lottery balls anymore. Then the results are put on these cards. And then we see the deputy commissioner, not even the actual commissioner, the deputy commissioner open up the cards so we figure out the draft order. Like, why do we need a bunch of people there? Why do we need Miles Bridges sitting there from the Hornets tonight? It's a strange spectacle. But then again, kind of like with the draft. I love it. I love it as a TV show. I love seeing what the reactions of these executives are. The ones that spent all year tanking just to get a 14% chance at the number one pick. I'm looking at you, Houston Rockets. I'm looking at you, Orlando Magic. You get to see the execs that spent this entire year tanking so they could get one of these players only to potentially not draft in the top three. There are, there are a lot of teams with mathematical odds. They've changed it, and I think they've changed it for the better. As for the Hornets, they have pretty slim odds. Last year, they jumped from where they were supposed to pick, number eight, to number three, and were able to draft LaMelo Ball. They had a 25% chance of getting into the top four a year ago. This year it's an 8.5% chance. 8.5% chance. There's an 85% chance that they're going to be drafting 11th, and then there's a, a small chance that they could be drafting 12th. So it's going to be 11, 12, or a top-four pick. There is a 0% chance, a literal 0% ch- chance, they could draft 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Why? Because that's how... The lottery works. So the Hornets, they have slim odds, but they do have odds. And thus, we will watch later on tonight. If you're a Hornets fan, if the Hornets name is not called either 13th, 12th, or 11th, then you know they have a top four pick. And they would have hit the jackpot in the NBA lottery later on. That's going to start again at 830 with... Suns-Clippers game two beginning at 9 o'clock. Hayes Permar is going to join us at the bottom of the hour. We'll play Skipper Plays with Hayes coming up. An amazing example here of progress that I think is okay to acknowledge. And this week as a whole, an amazing week of progress. And it might not even be finished yet. I'll explain what I mean next on the drive.
0: Yeah, he's weird. Yee-hoo! Yeah, I get it. The drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports.
1: Before we get into skip of plays with our guy Hayes joining us, Hayes Permar, Sports Channel Eight. I saw on social media, Hayes, you were reacting to something I thought was pretty cool. A bunch of ties between the state of North Carolina and big-time hip-hop acts and hip-hop producers. We actually had Ninth Wonder on the show a few weeks ago, who's a big Duke fan from Winston-Salem. Of course, there's J. Cole, and there are many others that you can find. It's a pretty cool tweet that was sent out, I think, by the North Carolina Hip-Hop Museum. You actually pointed out that there's a tie between the late Biggie Smalls and the state of North Carolina. What, what, what exactly is that tie?
3: Uh, Yeah, Josh, first of all, good to be with you. And Robert, as always, I came across this a couple of weeks ago when somebody like uh, oddly enough had sent a uh, um, like a Google Google Maps image. You know, you can kind of uh, identify. It's like basically an aerial shot of anywhere in the world. And and it was like, does anybody know who used to live in this house? And it was a random, you know, house in Raleigh, a nondescript place on the uh, sort of southwest side of town. And the answers were Notorious B.I.G., and I had never heard of this before. And and fortunately, in the same thread or, or or comments or whatever, people were throwing links to some stuff. And there's a couple of people who have given interviews, and I'll let you go find them, or I'll, I'll give them to you on social media. They have enough credibility of not only uh you know Biggie Small's time in Raleigh, I think maybe he had some family down here in, in the South. And so he we just would get out of New York City. Um, and sort of kind of described him as a goofy kind of guy. A lot of the gangster Biggie was um, image stuff, you know, put on by Puff. He was just kind of a, you know, funny dude. Not, not that he didn't uh, roll kind of how he described it, but he spent some time here in Raleigh. But mainly the coolest thing is that he talked about eating all the time at Waffle House and IHOP, <laughs> and specifically, and this is, again, like the, the the journalist who did one of the interviews is like, look, we didn't verify every fact here, but uh, we verified enough that this guy who's telling us is clearly credible and clearly is what he says, and these other details aren't exaggerated details. So one is that the line, uh, T-bone steak, cheese and egg, Welch's grape, Came from the time in Raleigh eating a, you know some combo of Waffle House, IHOP, <laughs> late night meals. And the thing that sold for me was the guy described it as they would get uh, grape juice in the carafe uh, like this, you know, uh, and that is exactly how the I- IHOP on Hillsborough Street used to serve it. I don't know if that's an IHOP standard, but if you got juice of any sort, it came in a carafe. And that singular detail allowed me to believe, like, I think this guy is true. I think th- I think Biggie Smalls actually ate at the IHOP on Hillsborough Street in Raleigh. That's
1: fantastic. I love those details. Hayes, I expect you to put something out at DHPIV to uh, share your findings. I'm sure a lot of people would be interested in that. You could follow Hayes there and also at Sports Channel 8. Follow what Hayes and the guys are doing. But I think I'm filibustering here. Robert's ready to go, so I will steer things into... Skipper plays with Hayes.
0: Hayes Permar is somewhat of a Renaissance man, an expert in the finer things. But
3: he hangs his hat on music. Loves his God, and he's no friend of Satan. He was like '06, getting busy with his sticks. Been watching Big Mike and Little trick. and trip. trip. I just need a on and someone he can dunk on. Today, Hayes will
0: decide if this music is smash or trash, glows or blows. It's time for skips or plays with Hayes.
1: Robert's got three songs for Hayes to decide if it's a skip or a play. He told us heading into the segment, since there are a lot of the top teams and top players not playing in the NBA this year in the Eastern Conference and Western Conference Finals, the best songs that ended up number two. Examples of songs that ended up number two on the charts but never got to number one. Robert, what's the first song you got for hey?
2: Uh, the first song we're going to listen to here is Bad Romance by Lady Gaga, one of her oh. first big hits. This song is fire.
1: What's the song, Robert, that finished number one that year?
2: Uh, it sat behind uh, a song that was actually on Skipper Place with Hayes last week. Uh, Jay-Z and Alicia Keys' Empire State of Mind. It sat behind them for seven
3: weeks.
1: I love this. Hayes, what do you think?
3: Uh, I, I think on the whole, I like Lady Gaga as a person. I think some of her songs are overrated, but this one is not. It actually gets a, uh, a play from Hayes. Uh, I, I know I would disappoint you. I thought we were going to get some jazz Graham karaoke. There. It sounded like he was crooning along with Lady Gaga. Uh, I also have to point out quickly. We came into the segment with "Cocaine" by Eric Clapton. Was that with the theme of <laughs> skips or plays? Because I, I, I'd hate for that to be some other like theme <laughs> su- suggested. I don't, I don't need that, Robert. Was that a number two song that didn't make number one? Is yeah, that the, what that was?
2: That's not to my knowledge. I don't know where it ended up on the chart. Would you give that one a Skipper play as well?
3: Well, I mean, I, I guess a play. I mean, you you play you bumped in for me with it. <laughs> where, I mean, it's. I guess it's a bump, uh, technically, right? Cocaine? Anyway, uh, all right, just keep it moving.
1: <laughs> Hayes got really uncomfortable very fast. He got really deep into it, and he decided he wanted no more. Look, so, I was
3: single for a long time, okay? All right? <laughs> next song from Good Robert thing Walsh married early, Josh Graham.
2: is... Uh, your next song is Boulevard of Broken Dreams by Green Day. Love this album. Robert, this must have been, was it 2004? 2004. Okay, what Uh, was number one? It sat in second for five weeks behind 50 Cent's Candy Shop.
1: Another great album. Doesn't surprise me. Hayes doesn't strike me as a Green Day guy, but I don't know. You were in your prime in the 90s.
3: Uh, that is absolutely true. But I was also in my prime for Green Day's Dookie, where every <laughs> song starts off with five minutes of just pure inner. It feels like <laughs> yeah. that album is on cocaine, right? And that's the Green Day that I know and love. Green Day ballads, you can skip them all. September, Boulevard of Broken Dreams, September. whatever Green Day. I, I, I hope we had the time of our life. The Green Day sold out to make the 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 year-ending montage song for life. Like, no. All Green Day ballads are skips. Every other Green Day song is an absolute play. Give me energy, Green Day, not slow it down, Green Day. Hey,
1: man. Hey, he's not a fan of it. Uh, I actually really like those uh, songs you described to be ballads. And it doesn't matter if you're not even close to the name of the title at all.
2: The genre well, online described it as rock opera, which rock as a genre, opera? you would think that Hayes would love rock opera. But now,
3: it, it is it is a good album. I never actually have seen the Broadway play American Idiot. And I realized that you need ballads in your, um, you, you know, if you're making a musical, you need ballads. Like you got to change up the tempo, but like, I liked it when Green Day didn't change up the tempo. Again, go to Dookie. It's just all energy all the time. That's how I want my Green Day served. Still
1: holds up thirty years later. Next song and last song for Hayes Permar.
2: It is Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. And the funny thing about this is it was released in nineteen seventy five and peaked I was at ask number this. Yeah, it peaked yep. at number nine. But then upon the release of Wayne's World in 1992, where they sing the falsetto in the car, uh, it jumped all the way up to number two, 17 years after its immediate release, uh, but it couldn't usurp uh, Chris Cross's jump for the number one spot.
3: Wow. Couldn't the, the Mac Daddy make you want to not get the number one spot, apparently, Chris Cross. Uh, I, I remember this. Wayne's World was a seminal moment in my life. I mean, Having $5 to go to a movie for me, I'm probably 13 at the time, uh, is a huge deal. And I remember my buddy Andrew Johnson and I paid three weekends in a row to go see Wayne's World. We had to lie to our parents about what we were going to see because we were embarrassed about how much money we were spending to see this movie. Had never heard this song before Wayne's World. So it it gets a, a huge play from Hayes, even though it's like a little bit overdone and overbaked now and too many parodies try to be done in its essence, it's genius. Uh, and you know, different than anything else you discover in rock and roll, right? Like all the just random words and four-part harmony. And it's got the Billy Joel scenes from an Italian restaurant quality of being like three different songs. In That's one. my favorite Billy opus. Joel song.
1: I think I told you that when we saw Billy Joel scenes of it an did. Italian restaurant, favorite, so favorite Joel song. That
3: absolutely gets a play from Hayes. Is there
1: a bigger jerk song to play at karaoke than Bohemian Rhapsody? Or is that... Actually, I saw someone try scenes from an Italian restaurant, which was an awkward eight minutes just to sit there for, but American Pie, Freebird.
2: Yeah, anything oh that's long is a slap in the face to all the karaoke goers.
1: It really is, but also nobody can do Bohemian Rhapsody justice.
3: Nobody. I mean... Yeah, if you're going to do it, bring your crew and do it, right? Like, if you nail it, I want to see it. But anything short of that, get out of here. Yeah, take your two and a half minutes like everybody else and then exit the stage. We don't need that.
1: I'll tell you what Hayes' go-to move is when he sings karaoke. First time we went out, this is Greenville, America. Hayes might have actually been in a suit for some reason. I can't remember. (laughs) Anyway, he he just decides, I'm going to sing Sinatra and I'm going to walk around the room. That's Perfect. Hayes's move. I think it was luck be a lady. Absolutely. Hayes just
2: roaming he around to random ladies of the night. Eating out of the palm of his hand. There were ladies of the night there, or were there ladies <laughs> at night?
3: Because those Green- are two completely different things. In Greenville, they're all ladies of the night. If you uh, so. the, I will say the, the, the number two song that for me I could not believe was not number one is Material Girl by Madonna. Like That screams number one hit to me as somebody who like grew up in the 80s. Uh, But but to tie it in all full circle, Josh Graham, Notorious B.I.G., one more chance, languished at never two, never made it to number one. Wow.
1: Hayes, let's see what NC State does on Friday. Friday at 2 o'clock, State going to be in action.
3: They're a fun crew. I, I was a little, I was all in on NC State baseball Twitter, skewering ESPN for all the shots of Al Leiter. I need more Vandy Whistler hate. Uh, I, I need more people. I, I realize that it's overdone. I need and...
1: I need less Vandy Whistler hate because I think enough people hate the Vandy Whistler, and I need more hate about Vandy's uniforms because the black uniforms with the pinstripes it's it's all very bad. I, I'm not a fan of Vanderbilt.
3: Yeah, that's fair. I like I do like uh, NC State and the pinstripes. Though.
1: They look yes, sharp. That is sharp. Hayes Permal always sharp. We'll talk to you. Are you going to be in Charlotte next month for Media Day? I'm going to see you in Charlotte.
3: I will likely be on the Crystal Coast of North Carolina.
1: That's what I like to hear. We'll talk to you next week, Hayes. See ya. That's Hayes Burmore on Twitter at DHPIV. Up next, a special shout-out and hat tip to NC State fans here on a Tuesday Drive. Dude, you are so money.
0: But you don't even know it. But you do. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. That's a strike. A game for NC State. Vanderbilt shut out for the first time this season, and the Wolfpack are 2-0 at the College World Series.
1: That's how it sounded on ESPN last night. A one-to-nothing NC State win. I actually wanted to start this segment with Robert discovering me and Sarah Bradford's wedding website that went live late last week, a year out from our wedding date. Perhaps we could get to that in a few minutes because I'm genuinely interested with what Robert has discovered. But uh, a shout-out to NC State fans. Man, a lot of people feel like whenever (laughs) you're talking about NC State, the shoe's going to drop or you're trolling them. State fans are always on guard. They've been hurt way too much. Robert, when I was a kid... I found this dog that had been clearly beaten walking around the neighborhood that we took in but would not let us be around him for easily like two or three weeks because, again, it just didn't trust people because of its past owner. That's the way I see NC State fans to a degree. Just beaten down, heartbroken. Anytime you you get hope, it's just stifled instantly, so you're always on guard. There's some Napoleon complex there that's very, re- very real. That has you lashing out at announcers. That has you, you know, firing off at referees more than most fan bases would. So, I am sympathetic to NC State fans, Wolfpack fans. I think they deserve what's happening right now with this college baseball team more than any other college fan base I can think of. If there's another college fan base, I am not thinking of in this moment that you think might fit this better, well, give me a call, 336-777-1600, or on Twitter at WSJSports, because for me, what I've observed, no fan base has suffered this long without a big payoff. Now, this is the big distinguishing point here. It's different to be irrelevant for a long period of time to be just a terrible program that nobody cares about because you've never been any good, fans are just apathetic towards you, than being good enough to compete but always falling short. One of my favorite quotes, I may have said this before, is Haywood Brown, 100 years ago, one of the greatest sports writers ever, he covered a boxing boxing match where both guys were going head-to-head, blow-for-blow, and he wrote the line... The most agonizing thing in life is not to lose, but to come close to winning. That's the most agonizing thing. And nobody who's nobody in college sports, at least around here, has mastered that art more than NC State. The art of coming close to winning, but seldom winning. Think of all the great players they've had. Bradley Chubb, a top five pick. Philip Rivers, a top five pick. Mario Williams, the number one overall pick. That's football, baseball, Trey Turner, Carlos Rodon. A lot of talent on this year's team. A lot of great players. Russell Wilson fits into that category for baseball too. Men's basketball, Julius Hodge, C.J. Leslie, Dennis Smith Jr. A lot of talent NC State's had. Despite all that, no ACC championships since 1991. No national championship since 1983, but no ACC titles in football, men's basketball, or baseball since 1991. And the heartbreaks, they've been memorable. They've been epic in football. I'm sure state fans remember it clear as day. A chance to go to your first ACC championship game in football since 1978 or 79. You're in Maryland. You're in College Park. You're supposed to win the game and you're thinking you're going to rally from behind, you're going to get a first down here to keep a drive alive, it looks like with the yellow line, Robert, that they always tell you is unofficial but you still think is official, that NC State clearly has the first down, but the yellow line was in the wrong place. And it turned out they did not have the first down. State fans still talk about that game. St. Louis, men's basketball, you're facing the Billikens. You miss a million free throws in the second half in overtime. It's the last game that TJ Warren ever played in the Wolfpack uniform. You lose in the NCAA tournament. That one stands out. Baseball, the Trey Turner game against UCLA. It looks like it's a clear home run. It stopped at the track. If it was Rosenblatt Stadium, that's an easy home run, but this is one of the first early years of an Omaha, the part being TD Ameritrade, not Rosenblatt Stadium the heartbreaks, they're memorable, they're epic. There aren't a lot of great success stories for men's basketball, baseball, and football. So shout out to the NC State fans. They deserve this more than any other college fan base I can think about. So I'm happy for them, and I really do hope they get to the National Championship Series. And who knows, they might be the one holding up the trophy at the end. That would be a wonderful scene a week from now. But Robert... I've stalled long enough. Sarah Bradford just texted me. Make sure you tell Robert that the website was updated as l- late as last night. So if there's anything that you saw last night, it might have been changed. She seems nervous about what you're about to say here. What, do you, what have you found on the wedding website?
2: Well, if she's nervous, it's all your fault because you're the one who asked me to do this. Uh, I looked at it today. So, it should be the most well, updated I just want, version. I just want
1: you to come to the wedding and get to know everybody. Like, you're coming to the wedding, right?
2: Yes. For the hundredth time, I'm coming to and the just, wedding. Just
1: making sure you're coming and, you know, you, you have any. When, when a you lot send me something in the mail in the that thing. says
2: RSVP, I will send it back and say, yes, I'm coming and I'm bringing my girlfriend.
1: I, I just want you to be uh, excited about it. That's all.
2: That's not my wedding. It's your wedding. I want you to practice dancing. All right. Anyway, here's what I looked at at your website. Uh, Why don't you have a Our Story from your perspective? Sarah Bradford did a beautiful write-up of your relationship and how you met and how it grew. (laughs) And I feel like you don't want to be outdone and you know that you can't outshine that beautiful work of art that she put up there. That's it. Well, you've got to. So I can comparatively be like, Josh (laughs) wrote a terrible perspective (laughs) of this love. Sarah Bradford's is the one that needs to be at the beginning of the book when y'all has a book of love or whatever. But you still need to write a perspective from your side. So then her friends and whatnot can read it and be like, oh, this guy said nice things.
1: But the fact that she's saying all these great things, I think it allows room for imagination. And since it's a wedding website, I think you're always imagining the best in people. That's why it's great to meet people at weddings, because everybody's happy. This is great. We're drinking. It's free, and it's fun, and I want to do that one day. Yeah, so when you're reading a wedding website, I think you're kind of in that state of mind. I don't think anybody's reading a wedding website in a bad mood, unless they're super jealous.
2: No, why would they be reading in a bad mood? I just want your perspective, because you're not going to tell it the same way she did. (laughs) Uh, my second question, uh, why are there child care options on the website? How many are kids going to be permitted at this wedding? Because I have an Ashley Schaefer approach to kids at weddings and uh, parties. I would like
1: the Ashley Schaefer approach. Let them
2: watch. <laughs> Let them watch and see this marriage. Let them learn the way that I learned from my daddy And the way he learned from his daddy. A lot of people complain about kids at weddings or kids at parties, but I think that that, in the long run, makes more well-socialized kids. I'm a product of my parents taking me to parties, and you play with the other parents' kids that are there. Or you sit quietly on the couch, or you get fussed at. Like, either way. I
1: don't know why there's a childcare option. It's a good question. Uh, I think it's to be polite. I think that's what it's about. I don't think... I don't think young children and babies are going to be welcome at this wedding.
2: Let them watch. Let them uh, watch, Ashley Safer. uh Eventually, I want everyone that's associated with this wedding to have a bio, like all the way down to the bartenders. Like, hey, the man mixing your drinks is X, like whatever his name is. The ring bearers, they need a bio. The confetti sweepers, they need a bio. Like the flower girl, she needs a bio. By the end of this, everyone, I, I'm sure even the people that are attending this wedding, I need a baseball card for everybody <laughs> that's coming. I need to know the highlights. Have you
1: seen Darren Vott's
2: business card? I, it, it looks just like a baseball it card. It is a baseball it's card.
1: It's unbelievable. You're right. I would love a baseball card. What stats would be on the back of your baseball card?
2: Uh, one, uh fourth grade spelling bee. Mm-hmm uh homeowner at 26 radio producer of the drive with josh grant yeah that too that would be mixed in there uh excellent gardener stuff like that but i need more bios i really enjoyed reading which bio
1: did you enjoy the most uh probably jordan's
2: my brother yeah i probably enjoyed jordan's the most it was the longest but i felt like it painted the best picture of his relationship with you yeah uh i also really enjoyed the shameless store plug it's like oh what to do while you're here visit my dad's shoe store that's the first thing on the list
1: i actually got some shoes from that store on that i'm wearing today
2: for the first time
1: really excited about that
2: so i appreciated the shameless store plug and oh uh, man
1: that's a flex i don't know if it's a plug i think it's just a flex hey yo we got a shoe store you can visit that
2: also what the hell's up with no ubers lifts or taxis like, well, this is a small town. Probably. Like, well, okay, that's fine. Arcadia has Ubers, like where I'm from. Like, ha- So who's getting the drunk people to the hotel? Who's getting the drunk people to the Marriott? Are we going to have, like, I horses, think, I think carriages, the ho- like <laughs> the little things that people run around with, like in China or downtown L.A., r- uh, rickshaws? Is <laughs> somebody going to rickshaw me to my hotel room as I'm yuking off the side of it? Well, how about this?
1: The hotels are actually at the venue, Robert.
2: Boom. Problem mm. solved. How about that? I want a rickshaw.
1: You want a rickshaw?
2: I want a rickshaw home.
1: When's the last time you said the word rickshaw?
2: It's been a minute. Probably in my text to speak in Google at some point when yeah. I was at a bar. Like,
4: ah, what are those related,
1: things called? Related question. When's the last time you've been in an Uber or a Lyft? Because for me, that's definitely pre-pandemic.
2: Uh, I went when the Last time I went to Orlando, we rode in an Uber. Which was when? Um, two months ago, I think it was April, maybe April.
1: Okay. I I just feel like that Uber and, uh, and Lyft might be hit pretty hard by COVID.
2: Well, the good thing about Uber is they really didn't have a lot of overhead. Like they didn't own the cars. They didn't own the employees. Like the employees only got paid when they worked. So it was really like, we're just not making money right now. And Uber as a company hasn't been in the red, but now they're, they're a publicly traded company. You got to expect that these rides are going to cost more. The surcharges are going to cost more, especially with the lack of drivers and mm. lack of cars.
1: Anything else from the website?
2: Uh, no, I think that's it. I think that covered most of my questions.
1: Does it make you more excited to be at the wedding?
2: Oh yeah. After reading everybody's uh, bios and stuff for sure.
1: Yeah. You get to know people. That's good. Really exciting stuff. So we're less than a year out from that wedding. Robert Walsh, I'm excited. NC State, 2 o'clock on Friday, going to be in action against Vanderbilt. Or Stanford, got basketball tonight. You got the NBA draft lottery tonight. Oh, and we've got Virginia baseball. Virginia baseball going to be in the winner's bracket, trying to go 2-0 like NC State against Mississippi State. That's I did be get right a call Sports.
2: Up, uh in the first segment uh, letting wanting me to let you know that NC State is not the only ACC team. You could highlight Virginia a little bit more. I'm not saying was it was that, Sarah Bradford's dad. I'm not saying that. I'm just that saying him? someone called and said that. I gotcha. Yeah.
1: We, we're excited. We're going to have the game on later on today. Virginia uh, face of Mississippi State. How cool would that be if it was Virginia and NC State in all ACC championship series? Because as I said, last dozen years, twenty of the twenty-four teams that start two and zero at the College World Series end up ended up in the championship series. So if Virginia wins tonight, they're in that category too. You are listening to WSJS: Winston Salem and Greensboro, WPCM Burlington, WMFR High Point. Those signals make up WSJS Sports.
0: You know who this is? You're on the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. <laughs>
1: Time for the Bachelorette
2: Minute.
1: Last night was episode three of Katie Thurston's season. Robert, if you remember where we last picked up, it was the villain of this season, Carl, being introduced, manipulating Katie, saying that there's people in the house not here for the right reasons, but wouldn't identify who it is, leaving things in turmoil wanting to see everything burn, that's where we pick up. I, Robert, I swear to you, when I'm out and about, this segment is what I get the most feedback on. This segment here, there are people that either love it, there are people that hate it, there are people that are confused by it. It's so damn hard in this industry to stand out. You got to be yourself. That's always the advice I have for people. It's what I've followed myself. It's why I'm in the position I'm currently in. And if I'm being myself, well, we've got a a lot some time to talk about The Bachelorette. And we do that now with The Bachelorette Minute.
0: So, it's another ongoing, never-ending series of The Bachelorette. Close your eyes, eyes,
1: relax,
3: relax,
0: and enjoy enjoy the sounds of of camp. Well... Actually, it's Katie this time. Katie. Just is the single lady with her hands up. If you really like it, you should put a ring on it. it, it. It's Katie this time. Welcome to the Bachelorette Minute.
1: Good news, Robert. Carl was sent home. Usually the move is when there's a lot of drama created by someone and they're clearly painted to be the villain they're going to stick around. That's what the producers do to try and keep you hooked and give you somebody to hate. And that seemed to be the path we were going down. But then the guy we learned was a virgin last week and maybe the sweetest guy of everybody in this bunch, Mike was his name, is his name. He got a rose during the rose ceremony and confronted Katie in that spot in front of everybody saying, All the guys would just like you to know that what Carl told you is untrue, it's unfair. Something to that degree. And Katie decided, I'm going to need a moment. She stepped out of the room. I believe to tell people, tell the producers, I want Carl to go. He's not going to win. Now the guys have confronted me about it. So I know you're trying to do a TV show here, but I've got to send him home for the good of my well-being here. So that's exactly what happened. She gave roses to a ton of other people, and then Carl didn't get one. He was sent home. And it's just been a dismissal of some of the drama, which, as somebody who tries to avoid drama in his own life at every turn, I happen to appreciate. Then you had a group date, Robert, where you got a massive group of guys together. Usually you do something fun, but this is the final season where everything was recorded in lockdown and in quarantine in New Mexico. So they had to do things that were not really as uh, imaginative as going to a scenic location and tropical beaches and things like that. Instead, after this concern of guys not being genuine and honest and being there for the right reasons, they brought back a former bachelor to sit next to Katie and this group of dudes, Robert, To pour out their souls. They sat in a room. It looked like an AA meeting where all the chairs were in a circle. And then Nick just called on people. Asking them to tell their deepest and darkest secrets. And here's the thing. They did. They did tell their deepest and darkest secrets. Hey, when I get really drunk, I'm very mean. And one time, I cheated on my girlfriend when that happened. And another guy... I made a mistake and I had a kid. Then there's Thomas, who got the vibe, Robert, that everybody is, you know, being honest and whatever I say is not going to be judged. He decided to say, I'm going to admit I didn't show up here for the right reasons initially. I was thinking this is a great way to pick up social media followers. And all the other dudes in the room are looking at him. Dude, just because we're being honest doesn't mean you could just say anything. That didn't sit well with anybody. And he told a lot of other stuff that didn't seem great either. So that date was just brutal. Hey, Groot date, let's, let's pour out our souls to strangers. People that we've only known for about a week and a half. So... Immediately, Thomas becomes the heel. Everybody doesn't like him. And then he tries to take extra time with Katie and tells Katie that he's falling in love with her. Again, it's been a week and a half. The guys are annoyed by this. They think he's manipulating Katie and everybody in the house. They think he's lying, too. He essentially got called out for a lie. And he already admitted that he's not here for the right reasons. And at the end of the season, or at the end of the episode, he even admitted that he's had thoughts That he wants to become the next Bachelor. Which, if you're trying to win the heart of Katie, you're not thinking at all about wanting to be the next Bachelor. So, Thomas is the new villain. I don't think it's a great villain. We'll see how long he lasts. There was a one-on-one with this Michael dude. Michael A. He's the oldest guy in the house. Doesn't really look it at all. Not very interested. Seems interesting. He looks like he's going to be going home at some point, but... Another dude that just poured out his soul. Really sad stuff. Like he had a wife who died of cancer? Oh my goodness, Bachelor producers. Having these guys tell these stories on national TV. They are evil, the Bachelor producers. But that was last night's episode of The Bachelorette. Full disclosure, NC State baseball took precedent in the Graham household. So... A lot of double screen action and flipping channels during commercial breaks. Didn't have double screens working at all. That was my night watching The Bachelorette, Robert.
2: So, like, does she get to pick who she ends up with, or do the other guys get to decide, oh, he wasn't here for the right reasons the entire show? Like, the fact that everybody's like, oh get this guy out of here like i understand everybody's trying to win but like nobody is trying to marry this chick everybody is on here for the same reason that that dude said he was on there
1: and this it. guy said it out loud right he
2: said it out loud and they're all like oh get him somebody get him well we found an opening to complain like this i don't know man everybody's coming i just after could this dude not now. watch this show this would absolutely drain me
1: robert if you and I hung out and watched this show each week. We
2: have. I I just don't enjoy it. It just drains me. Just hearing the drama from you is all that I need.
1: Yeah. So, draining is an interesting word to use there. What drains you about The Bachelorette?
2: To even keep up with this or follow the story that these producers are trying to give you.
1: Yeah, I've got a lot of notes here.
2: Like, that's rough. I, I don't want to pay attention to that. I'd rather watch, like, Bernie, the Bernie Mac show or something. Like, no way.
1: Oh, I watched uh, the Bo Burnham special for a second time.
2: You're not allowed to come back on it, by the way. Nope. I, I, I was You were poo so hard, man, I was. Well, I no, can't let you was, come back I'm on it. I am
1: willing to admit I was wrong.
2: To say it should be put into a time capsule is such the other side of what you were at, at the beginning. I, know. I can't let you come back. I know.
1: Back. I know. I was wrong.
2: I'm gonna play Gatekeeper. You're not allowed to enjoy it.
1: Yeah, my Bo of Dick was wrong at first, but I watched it a second time. You know, somebody heard our radio segment and said, Josh, you gotta watch it a second time. And you even said that to me. You gotta watch it a second time. And I'm not the hard-headed guy that can't admit he's wrong when he's wrong on something, right? You know, if someone says, give it a second try, I'm not going to be hard headed and say, no, this was my opinion. And I'm just going to stick to it. No. Second try. Uh, I saw things I didn't see in the first, first, uh, viewing. There you go. Aren't you happy to know that I turned around on this one?
2: I just don't know what could have possibly changed cuz your biggest gripe was like I don't want pandemic content and like the second well, time you watch think, it it's still pandemic it is, content.
1: I think what it is it's your expectations going in, right? Where if you're expecting a something to make you laugh for an hour and 15 minutes and that's not what you get. Well, you could be in a certain mental space about something, but I I guess I didn't understand what it was when I first went into it, and I was expecting a stand-up special. The second time I watched it, I, I viewed it more from a, a piece of artwork, where, if you haven't seen it, the Bo Burnham special inside, it's just incredibly written comedy, which you would expect if you know anything about Bo Burnham stuff, but then I start thinking technically, okay, well, he's the only one shooting every one of these shots. It's all from the same room. How is he making this visually appealing for an hour and a half? How is that something I want to go back and watch? And that if I do watch for a second time, I get more out of it than I did the first time. That's an achievement in and of itself. So it's just more of framing of what it is and the expectations of it, which is why I need a second viewing of it.
0: Very good. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. Buckle up. Because the ride just gets wilder. And now on WSJS Sports...
1: NC State, one win away from the College World Series National Championship Series. Pretty excited to see what the Pack are going to do later on this week. Friday, 2 o'clock, after the win one nothing yesterday against Vanderbilt, now being joined by former Big League All-Star, I think I can say long-time Wake Forest color commentator as well for football, Larry Sorensen, who once upon a time was calling games for ESPN for the College World Series. So I'll put it to you. You've seen your fair share of champs. Could you see this NC State team finishing the job, or is that still premature?
4: Oh, Josh, I think absolutely we could see them uh, finishing the job because they can do a number of different things. And the thing that they do really well They play defense. They throw strikes, and they play defense, which will always keep you in the game. They've got some home run pop, too, which will show up. But, you know, speed, defense, and if you get some good pitching to go with it, you're always going to be competitive. I love their makeup.
1: Did you get enough Al Leiter on the broadcast last night?
4: (laughs) You know, he was dominant, wasn't he? He struck out a boatload of guys. And in the end, the guy that struck out five that didn't make that one mistake was the guy that ended up walking away with a win?
1: Oh no, no! I know we got Jack Leiter was unbelievable. Did you get enough yeah. Al Leiter on the broadcast oh, yeah. uh, sitting there watching?
4: Yeah, well, Al's a friend, so we'll be we'll be kind. And Al was a terrific pitcher in his own right. <laughs> but yeah, they did. Uh, I don't I don't remember quite as many focuses on a parent in the stands as we might have gotten last night.
1: <laughs> uh, is there any chance? Well. I'm interested in what you think of what Vanderbilt does now. Because Vandy, they threw Kumar Rocker on Saturday in the walk-off win that they had against Arizona. It was five and two-thirds innings. I think he threw 100 pitches. Last night, Lighter was over 120, and he pitched all eight. So it keeps your bullpen pretty fresh. It's an elimination game tomorrow. How do you think Coach Corbin's going to handle it? Uh, Will it be Rocker on short
4: rest tomorrow? I wouldn't think so i would think you started off as a uh, as a staff day but you know he knows his players and, and i say this all the time you know we as we as fans and and we as as supposed experts you know like to think we can get inside the coach's head and make the right decision for him he knows better than anybody what his players are capable of how they come back you know rocker might be a guy that needs five days full rest or six days rest and and Corbin certainly and Scott Brown is a great pitching coach, so they've got a much better idea about that than we do. So I would think that they would make it a staff day because there's some awfully good arms in their bullpen as well. Yeah, and if it you're, wasn't, it wasn't just a two-man staff.
1: Yeah, and if you're NC State, you're probably wanting Stanford to win tomorrow because if it is a staff day, you could be staring down Rocker on Friday on close yeah. to regular rest. And if you lose that game, I have to imagine they'd go with their guy lighter on five days' rest.
4: yeah, absolutely that you come back with lighter, and anytime you've got that one two punch coming at you in a row, um, you don't feel really good about your chances, obviously. we're talking about two of the top ten players taken in this year's amateur draft, so um but it's you know it the funny thing about Omaha and Joaquin Nandahar said the one thing. About baseball, you never know, Is you just never know. You know? <laughs> and it does funny things to funny people. You find unlikely heroes. You find the guy that steps up out of the bullpen and they say, okay, if this guy can give us three outs, then we can go to the next guy. And that guy ends up giving you five innings because he stepped up into the moment and got outside of himself and just had a great day for you. Much like Sam Highfield did. I mean, Sam Highfield was unbelievable. And i got to tell you this story because I think you'd appreciate it, Josh. Uh, Wake Forest lost two out of three to North Carolina State when they came in. They played great defense against us. But in the opening game on Friday night, Highfield got hit in the face by a pitch, right? Or by a ball that went up the middle. He got hit by a line drive up the middle. Stayed in the game. And then Wake Forest started to catch up to him. So he dropped down sidearm to start throwing out of that slot and got a couple more innings. So the next morning, I was talking to Elliot Avent by the fence in the outfield, and I said, man, that kid was just amazing, this, that, and the other. And he said, hi, Phil, get over here. And he brings him over, and he says, hi, Phil. He says, this guy played 10 years in the big league, and he wants to know how big your, uh, your intestinal fortitudes are, we'll call him, But he <laughs> wants to know how big your intestinal fortitudes and that's not the word he used. And, you know, the kid just blushed until i get out. But it's a team that's really got some amazing chemistry going. They've got a real feel for themselves and a camaraderie going right now, and they are on some kind of a roll. So I'm high on North Carolina State.
1: When you're in Omaha for a week and a half, two weeks, NC State hoping to be there for a while, what's there to do after you've been there for about four or five days?
4: Well, there used to be a great zoo right outside the old park at uh, Rosenblatt Stadium. And I'll tell you, I'm in my office with F5 Sports up in uh, Winston-Salem, and I'm looking at a Diamonds Are Forever picture of the College World Series from 1991 because if you look real closely, you see a little yellow smudge up in the uh, broadcast booth, and that's me standing up there with Mike Patrick broadcasting the game. So the College World Series, Josh, if you've never been there, get yourself out there. It'll, I guarantee you it'll be a highlight of your
1: life. if EC When ECU goes, we're hopeful. Well, here. Hey, they're pretty good. That's what I'm saying. When ECU they're goes, I, I'll be in Omaha. That's the plan. Larry Sorensen's here. And I, I wanted to bring you on because you do a lot of stuff with pitch logic that's very interesting. And I'm sure you have very interesting perspective as a big league picture. What's been going on in the majors and this discussion about – And I could hear the sigh in your voice, pretty much the same sigh that (laughs) Frank Biola had last week when we were talking to him, now High Point Rockers pitching coach. You know, the rules went into effect this week. If anybody gets caught applying substances onto the ball, well, you're looking at a 10-day suspension with pay. I'm sure it's going to be a big issue with collective bargaining when we get into the offseason. But let's start here. Frank told me he was uh, more of a pine tar guy when he threw, when you pitched, what what were you using for grip on the ball?
4: I was in the big leagues for two weeks, and a crafty old veteran who actually went to NC State, a guy named Mike Caldwell, left-handed pitcher that they roomed me with, said, young fella, you might want to try a little bit of this stuff right here and uh, and see how that works with your sinker. And I tried a little pine tar, and then I got to the mound, and I grabbed some rosin, and I said, "Oh yeah, now I can really have good contact with the ball and feel like I'm in total command of what I'm trying to do here." And I never was without it again when I went to the mound. And I used to keep a little pine tar rag in my pocket. And uh, guys, you know, in St. Louis, I'd walk out to the mound in the middle of July, and it was eighty, it was 95 degrees and 95 percent humidity, and I'd have my winter jacket, my heavy coat. And they'd say, and the clubhouse guy would say, "Well, why do you have your heavy coat out here?" And I said, Because your spring coat doesn't have pockets in it. That's why. So I never (laughs) went to the mound without a little bit of pine tar on my hands.
1: Yeah, and I'm interested who you might be more frustrated with in this because the sense I get is the reason why baseball is enforcing this stronger, it's not just because of the low batting averages. It's because it seems pitchers are taking a mile when given an inch uh, and, you know, umpires, they never really wanted to enforce it so tightly unless it was something egregious like Michael Pineda a few years ago had the pine tar on his neck when he was facing my Orioles and got tossed out of that game. Um, where where do you stand? Who are you more upset at? Major League Baseball wanting to maybe overreaching with its uh, protocols here and implying the midseason? Or the pitchers maybe going a bit too far with spider tack?
4: I think the share needs to be blamed equally. First of all, I think it's ridiculous that they impose something brand new in the middle of the season. Uh, you know, I just, I don't think that's right. You've got to, you've got to phase your way into it a little bit and, and try it a different way. Um, again, I was talking with Jim Cott this morning, um, and doing an interview with him and he was talking about, let's send the hitters up there without any parntar, without any elbow pads, without any shoulder pads, without any knee guards. You know, let's equalize that situation a little bit and, and then talk about taking things away from the pitchers. Spider Tech definitely makes a difference. I saw an example of it this weekend when some balls were thrown with it and we were showing off our uh, Pitch PitchLogic baseball. PitchLogic.com, by the way, got to throw that in. But our Pitch Logic baseball that measures the spin rates. And we had guys that were throwing three-quarters speed of what they used to that their spin rates were jumping up five and 600 RPMs. Which is you know a twenty five to thirty percent bump, just because that stuff's so sticky, you can make the ball spin that much faster, well, to stop so you clearly, real quick to clearly, stop you
1: real quick, yeah. I, and I want to talk about your pitch logic baseballs too in doing so with this question with with the what you can monitor with your baseballs are are you able in some type of measurable sense to look at what the biggest difference is between? In a a consumable way for the audience to explain why spider tack is a bridge way too far for Major League Baseball?
4: Yeah, absolutely. We measure with the pitch logic ball, we measure total spin, back spin, side spin, and rifle spin. And the total spin number is the one that's most measurable. So for a Major League average fastball, you're at about 2,200 RPMs. For a Major League curveball, you're at about 2,700 to 2,800 RPMs. And what we're seeing is that guys that use the spider tack are jumping up to 2,800 on their fastballs and getting into the 3,000s with their breaking balls because the ball is so their hands get so sticky and they can make the ball spin that much faster by keeping contact with the ball longer and pulling harder off of it.
1: Larry Sorensen with us here. Pitchlogic.com. You can learn more about that there. Uh, since you do cover Wake Forest football with our guy Stan Cotton and Dave Gorin. We're a few months out from the start of that season. What do you view to be the primary storylines with Wake football going into this fall?
4: Experience. the Experience. You know, they've got 20 starters coming out of the 22 starters coming back, and that's going to increase your depth. Young guys that got some playing time last year are still going to be moving up into those backup roles, and they'll have more depth. And I think that's going to be a big difference. But experience all the way around. And, you know, I used to think experience was just another word for old age until I played with some people that I saw how they could cheat a half a step and gain leverage in different situations playing baseball. And the same thing happens in football. And in football, especially up front on the offensive line, if you gain the leverage by a couple of inches, because you're a little bit smarter than you were the year before, it makes all the difference in the world, getting your opponent just that much off balance. It's going to be a terrific year, man. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm excited. Stan's as excited, I think, I think as, I've, as I've seen him in a while, as we talk <laughs> about it a little bit. You know, he, he sometimes he's hard to get off the couch a little bit, yeah. but he's, he's pretty fired up.
1: We still need to watch the outlaw Josie Wales. We're going to do that this <laughs> summer. Uh, he, I, I see it on all these streaming services. And I'm telling Stan, you know, you've built this movie up. It's your favorite Eastwood movie. I'm going to watch it. And he says, no, no, no. We need to figure out a time for you to get out to the radio ranch so we can watch it. So one of these times we'll make that happen.
4: Larry Sorensen. I stay with him when I come into town on the weekend. So maybe we'll do it one night after an afternoon game. Let's
1: go. All about that. Larry, it's good to hear from you. Enjoy the rest of the College World Series. I'm sure we'll be chatting sometime soon.
4: Some great baseball, looking forward yes,
1: to Yes, yes, there is. That's Larry Sorensen, the former big league all-star, Wake Forest, Layerfield IMG Sports Network, and also former ESPN College World Series analyst. Great stuff from him there.